Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another Matt the Hatch with Matt Green. How you doing, Matt? Hey Marvin, how's it going? As always, just trying to stay out of trouble. What are you uh, seeing these days on the bug front? Oh, well, so a little bit of what we talked about earlier in the summer, still some stoneflies around, still some Cahills or Hepagenidae mayflies around. Uh, the stoneflies are these big brown and tan stoneflies in the family Perlidae, some of the geni- uh, some species in the genus Acronuria. That's what's around still. Uh, and then we have some sulfurs around on the tailwaters in East Tennessee. And then there's some trichos emerging um, throughout the Mid-Atlantic in the, the upper southeast, if you consider the mountains of Virginia, the upper southeast. And there are some hexagenia still flying around, and here in, in August we'll have uh, this, our second round of hexagenia here in the Mid-Atlantic and southeastern U.S. and, and through the northeast, and uh, hexagenia atrocaldana, which are these dark uh, brown drakes that will emerge late into August and into September. And so really just a continuation of some of the summer insect activity starting to wane in places, waiting for the fall, um, the fall generations to come around starting in August and September, but just kind of making do with the bugs, Marvin. Thanks for asking. (laughs) There you go. And so really, I mean, it's a little bit of everything, but you, you know, probably, you know, in the Southeast, if you're close to the, to like the South Holston, you know, the story really probably your most consistent hatch, right. Is going to be the sulfurs and then maybe trichos are going to come in maybe behind that. Right. Uh, not on South Holston, but definitely in the, you know, we don't have trichos like in the Southeast, like we do in the mid Atlantic and parts of the Northeast. Uh, but certainly there are still sulfurs around on South Holston, for example, and they're, they were still around, and they might still be around in a little trickle over on the Watauga, the sister tail watered in South Holston. Uh, they, you know, sulfurs were a lot thicker earlier this month and into June, kind of petered out. Uh, cicadas have kind of petered out too, Marvin, in that area and over the rest of the viewing area, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, some beetle fishing has started up in many of the mid-Atlantic streams, especially spring creeks, including grasshoppers. And so really focus on uh, throwing your beetle imitations. And you know, I don't know about most of the rest of the mid-Atlantic, but over in East Tennessee, beetle fishing is before 9 or 10 a.m. You get your best beetle fishing in in the morning. Uh, you know, big fish are just looking up after a night of feeding on terrestrials or even mice and things like that small rodents and so you know your your best dry flashing for terrestrials is, is going to be early morning mid-atlantic it could be through the day i had lots of success throwing hoppers and, and beetle patterns on spring creeks in pennsylvania back in the day throughout the day it wasn't relegated to the morning so you know give that a shot too if it gets real hot and the trichos thin out on some of those creeks in the northeast mid-atlantic terrestrials and then then wait to the evening and you might get some assorted caddisflies coming off there as well uh, some brown caddisflies size 10 or excuse me 16 or 18 these are mostly hydrocycidae the net spinning caddisflies uh, 
But yeah, uh, we've been talking about sulfurs a little bit, proper dry fly technique, Marvin. Over on the tailwaters in East Tennessee, the sulfurs are there. They're not as thick as they were, and the fish are picky. And I can talk to you about how to fish them properly or a little bit better to really maximize your fishing success. Yeah, because I've fished with you over there, and they certainly are picky on the South Holston for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, really, those bugs uh, during the and we're talking about the upper section of the tailwater. So this is from the Weir Dam down to the 44 Bridge and Hickory Tree, that complete upper section. Uh, the sulfurs below the 44 Bridge pretty much peter out by the middle of May, sometimes early June. And then even further downstream towards Rockhold Road, Weaver Pike area, they thin out after, after the end of May. And, and those sulfurs really start the end of April, first week of May, and they go for the entire month, and then they peter out. And, and that's because the water temps up close to the dam are so consistently cold, they support a number of different generations of the same species. Whereas further down, you have conditions that, or at least temperature conditions, that don't permit that increased number of brood or generations. And so you have just multiple reoccurring broods in the upper section of the tailwater that occur uh, all year round. I mean, they'll, they'll trickle off from November to June, and then they get really thick between June and October. And that, that's the timing for them. And, and you, know, you talked about fish being picky. That's for certain. Uh, early into June, there'll be a lot. The emergences will be thicker. Uh, all the way until probably the first or second week of July. And then after it gets really hot, uh, the fish get picky. Uh, typically early on June, early July, those emergencies of sulfurs will come off starting between 1230 and 1, get really thick around 1 or 2, sometimes even 3, and then peter out by that point. And there'll be bugs on the water past 3 o'clock, but the fish get real picky on them at that point, uh, mostly due to the thinning out of, of the hatch or the emergence and due to the fact that there can be a lot of lingering bugs on the surface and the fish have more than they can deal with. And so your presentations just have to be really, really good. Later in the season, into July, August, the emergence gets pushed back in the day because of the heat starting to really get thick around 3 o'clock, 3.30, lasting until 5. Again, the insects will trickle off between 1 and 2 and 3, but they don't get thick until later in the afternoon. My key is that it, the best chance to really get on the fish is before the bugs get really thick. Uh, you know, Really capitalize on some good high percentage cast uh, before that time, and as they get thick, your presentations need to get a lot better. Uh, one of the things I like to practice is casting within about three to four or five seconds of a rise. You really want to put that fly right back in the rise form as quick as you can. And we're talking being dead on with the cast. You can lead the fish a little bit, uh, and, th and that's important. And you only need to lead the fish about a foot or so. You don't want to lead him three, four, five feet after the fish has just risen because that's just too much time in between a rise and a non-eat. 
you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, because I mean, I, I can remember like the time that we fished together. I mean, those fish basically are on station and they eat and they basically turn downstream and then they turn right back around and go back on station. Right. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind there is micro drag. Now, micro drag is a real thing for selective trout. If you have more than three, four inches of micro drag on your fly, and what we mean by micro drag, folks, is when your fly leader is actually downstream of where your fly is sitting, such that it forms a slight bow. If you can think about it with your hands, in your right hand, hold an imaginary fly, and then in your left hand, draw a line or a curve line away from that fly to the left. So if you're holding your fly in your right hand, I'm left-handed, so I'm thinking about this the way I normally would. But if you hold your fly in your, your right hand and you draw a line away from your right hand or the fly, moving left, and you have a curve, you will see just a little bit of a, of a of like a parabola or some kind of semicircle. That's the drag I'm talking about. And you may think, why does it make any difference? It does, because when that fish eats, that little bit of drag doesn't cause causes you not to have a completely tight hook set. You're not completely tied on the take. And so what the fish is going to come do is it's just going to rise up, take it off the surface, but you're not going to have a firm set. There's not going to be any tension there. Now, if you have your leader upstream of the fly, then you have all the tension in the world that you need to make a good set. And when it's South Holston, you really do need to be about 40 to 50, maybe 60 feet away from the fish. One of the thing, one of the common mistakes more than I see people making is standing in the feeding lanes for fish. They will actually stand in the lane. I encourage you when you get down the stream, take five, ten minutes, figure out where the fish are, and then cast them. Don't walk right out into the river because you might actually be inadvertently standing in the feeding lane without knowing it. And so if you're 50 or 60 feet away from the fish, you're in good. You're in a really good spot. If you move any further or, or any closer than that to the fish, 20, 30 feet away, and you're in the water, you may actually be pushing water towards the fish to put them down, or you may actually be in the feeding lane at that point, and you will put the fish down. So if you're standing out in the middle of South Holston, beautiful river, bugs around you, and fish were feeding, and all of a sudden they worked, you're either one, too close, or in the feeding lane. Take a step back, let the situation reset, then cast. Because you have to be 40 or 50 feet away, 60 feet away more than at, at all times to really catch these fish, that micro drag becomes a problem. And so the way to get around that is to have an upstream bend right after the cast, the line hits the water for the cast, or you can throw a reach cast um, to offset micro drag problems. The way to do that, folks, is as, you, as you're coming forward on the forward cast from a back cast, just move your arm upstream a little bit before the line hits the water. So as you're casting, you're casting, 
backcast, forward cast, backcast, forward cast, then reach over your body to the opposite direction. If I'm a left-handed caster, that means, and I'm casting downstream and across, that means I reach over my right shoulder on the forward cast before the line hits the water. If I'm a right-handed caster casting left and downstream, I'm reaching over my left shoulder to reach. That's why it's called a reach cast. And this will help you deal with micro drag. Now, if you're a right-handed caster casting right, you just want to, as you're going through with a forward cast, you just want to uh, move your uh, move your your elbow or your forearm just away and off to the right a little bit, and then vice versa for a left-handed caster doing the same thing with your your left arm. And, and that's really important, Morgan. There were plenty of times this past weekend where I realized I had a little bit of micro drag on a 40, 50 foot cast, and a nice fish would come up and smack it, and I didn't have the fish on. And I caught 10 or 12 fish and missed just as many as I was a little rusty on the micro drag. I caught some nice fish, but it's important. Another thing about South Holston and similar fisheries with selected trout is it's important to have. Uh, good upstream presentation as well as downstream presentation. Dump out a good upstream presentation, you can actually cast over the fish. That's okay, as long as you're on line with the rise form with the fly line. And you need to be dead on. And as that fly comes down to you, in order to prevent drag or slack and not have a firm hook set with the fish, you need to be stripping in line. And you need to strip fast enough and have enough, uh, have less slack to, to really get a prone hook set. When fishing downstream, you, you undergo the act of really feeding the fish. You'll make that cast uh, directly in line with the rise form. You need to position yourself so you can do this. If you're positioning yourself on a slant and you have to cast on a slant to the fish, then you need to be using a really good reach cast. But if you're casting directly downstream of the fish, then you're going to, you may run into problems where you don't have enough line on the water. You have enough, if you have too little line on the water, what's going to happen is you're going to drag that fly. And if you drag that fly, the fish is really going to know. Those flies really need to be riding down the current or riding on flat without drag in order to really get fish to notice them and to eat them. Uh, and so as you're casting downstream on line with the rise form, in order to get more line out on the water to not drag the fly, just wiggle the tip of the rod. Or you can rise, raise the tip of the rod up while keeping a firm connection of the line in, in kind of a um, almost like a wet fly or a lesson ring lift presentation where you have um, uh, where you have the rod at a 45 degree angle the rod tip forms a U or a parabola with the line as it hits the water you can actually use the, the tension the water line tension to raise the rod to, to uh, shoot line out 
of the rod tip is you do that. And so, folks, when you make that uh, that nice you uh, by holding the uh, holding the rod at a forty five degree angle, you can that creates a lot of uh, tension, water line tension on the fly line, and it, it's just easy to do at that point. And by doing that, you're, I call it kicking line. It's almost like you're kicking line downstream. And as you do that, you will release tension on the leader and allow the fly to, uh, to work its way downstream drag-free. And if you do this in line with the rising, with a trout that's rising or feeding on sulfurs, uh, you should be able to catch it unless the fish refuses your fly. Two things about that, Morgan. Size really matters. Uh, 16, when the fish are feeding on 18, is just going to be too much of an imposter. If fish are feeding on 16 and you're fishing a 14, you're just too big. And, and fish will decline that fly pretty readily. It's the size rule. 14 looks twice as big as a 16. A 16 looks twice as big as an 18. Yeah, the flies are tied in proper proportions. They'll look just abnormal to the fish and you know you have lots of natural insects floating down those fish get picky on the size of the fly um, not so much color more size at that point if they're really feeding heavy yeah and and talking about you know obviously the you know the insects can be pretty small and you're fishing far away and you've got pretty selective and, and at times pretty spooky fish you know in terms of helping anglers that might have trouble uh seeing their fly on the water you know do you you know use another dry use a new zealand wool indicator maybe put a little um i don't know like some of the comp guys use some color of the leader a little bit higher up or there's some things that you can suggest for people that you know if they're having issues seeing their fly can help them hook up but but won't scare the fish definitely um so one of the things I will recommend is to not use two flies. This is because a second fly trailed off a first fly as an indicator can increase your probability of dragging both flies. You run the risk of introducing micro drag in other drag conditions to the presentation. And so you might, you might catch fewer fish that way. I would recommend if you can't see the traditional flies really well, you invest in some good high-vis parachutes with fluorescent pinks are pretty common, and reds, and, and even greens. And those will be able to really help you see the fly well. If you use more than one fly, you're going to introduce drag problems on a place like South Holston. You're not going to catch as many fish. If you're using a New Zealand indicator, you're really going to increase your uh, risk of dragging your whole rig. And these fish are so picky on drag, um, you you just don't want to be facing those kind of issues. And then secondly, introducing some sort of micro drag, even if you get the, the, the flies to work well and the fish eat them, you may miss a, quite a number of fish because of that micro drag issue and i guess too right you know for those late in the day when the sun's low and everything's kind of uh kind of shiny on the surface a black parachute post is pretty helpful too yeah it might 
Uh, one thing I did, I did mention is that the length of your leader really makes a difference. If you're using something like 6X, which doesn't drag as heavy as 5X, for example, really use a, a two or three foot long 6X leader if you can. Uh, that'll reduce your drag issues. You may be able to get away with two flies at that point if you're long enough. That's what I worry about mostly with the two flies, Marvin, are the drag issues associated with it. You have so many different little microcurrents. The last thing you want to do is drag right over a nice fish after it's eaten. And if you weren't dragging and you had a good drift, that fish probably would have eaten and you would have had it. You don't want to put a fish down due to drag. That's just one of the worst things you can do. And going through my head, I've been there and I said, oh, crap, I put that fish down because of the drag. Crap. Yeah. It was a nice fish. Oh, I missed a nice fish because of a drag issue. I caught one fish on Sunday that was 16, 18, and I threw in and I missed another one bigger than that in the same exact place due to a micro drag issue. Went to go set the hook and it wasn't there. And it's because when the fish came up to eat, that three inches worth of drag made all the difference in the world. And I didn't have a full hook set. The smaller the fly, the greater the increase of micro drag, the more micro drag on a small fly, the higher the risk that you won't have a solid hookup. On big flies, micro drag is less of an issue because once that fish eats, that fly's big, that hook's big, it's going to have it in its mouth. Small eats, even from big fishes, on on um, on small flies, if you have a lot of micro drag, it's less likely you're going to get a good hookup. Yeah. And so on your leader, like obviously, uh, you know, uh, for anyone who's fished the South Holston a lot, going to 6 or 7X shouldn't shock anybody, but are you starting with like a standard 9-foot leader and then just building it out from there, or are you rolling your own? I'm rolling my own leaders. I don't have the formula sitting right in front of me. Uh, I actually, um, it's going to be published in a, an episode, or not an episode, an article in Fly Fisherman Magazine here in the winter of, the, of 2022. Um, I can uh, maybe be able to pull it up real quick. but Yeah, no, uh, it's okay. I mean, just you know, let's, let's take it a different way, right? Let's I, mean, just, I mean, think about it this way. I, I normally use like, Three feet of up to two feet of two X. Excuse me. Three feet up to three feet of two X. Three feet of four X. That's a nine foot leader right there. And then you can add about three feet of six or three feet of five, depending on application. You see a lot of these leaders that are just super, super bulky up top. They actually don't cast very well. And they're real heavy, and they introduce drag. And so I've actually gone really light up in the top section of the leader. You can add like um, uh, another two feet or one foot of heavier mono if you want, if you want something larger than ought to. Uh, But but that's typically what I do. Uh, Leaders today on the market are actually too heavy for proper dry fly fishing. So you really have to use something a lot thinner. And and that's why I probably catch more fish than some folks sometimes. I'm just thinner on the leader, but I've tied my own. I've tied my own for, oh, you know, at least seven or eight, nine years now. Yeah. 
And then on the bug front, are you still fishing your uh, your orange turkey biot um, uh, yeah, CD, CDC you, wing? Yeah, you can see that fly in the magazine, man. It's in fly fishing, and I, I think it saves the internet too nowadays. <laughs> uh, you you can go you can go with a uh, like a a dun or a light gray wing with a yellow body too, and you can go back and forth. I'm typically a little stubborn. I, I'll stay with my, my orange bite and tan wing thing and a 16. Did I, there's times when I probably should have gone to the yellow bite when they got picky on that, especially if I'm trying to work over the same fish that I've missed once or twice. I could have changed flies and gone back over and probably caught it. But there's 70 fish on South Holston. You can just move on and go to another pod. Yeah. And then, of course, you can't leave home without your fumed silica, right? One, one thing I will just kind of close on, do make sure your flies are floating well. Don't be afraid, afraid to keep applying a floating of any sort to them. Um, you'll, if you ever see me on the river, you'll say I carry a big quart jar of uh, frog fanny with me. I use a paintbrush to apply it. I don't use these little paintbrushes, <laughs> these little brushes you get in these uh from uh, the Frogs Fanny Company, you know, I use fume cabasil uh, with a big paintbrush, and you really do need to load it up and just keep at it. If for any reason you don't see a fly floating, recapped, refrog. And that's the terminology I use: refrog it up because it, it isn't worth making ten casts in a hole with fries and fish to be fishing two fish that are taking a good solid dry fly or a good solid floating insect going downstream um now if they're, if they're taking a mergers then it wouldn't hurt to reapply less but if they're taking solid insects floating down and you know they're taking a solid dry fly free frog as much as you need to to fish well yeah, there you go. Words to live by. And, you know, folks, we love questions on the Articulate Fly. You can, uh, you know, email them to us or shoot them to us on our Facebook or Instagram page, and we'd love to answer them for you. And, you know, I think we've pretty well, I mean, we've talked almost for half an hour. I think we've pretty well covered the sulfur game, particularly on the South Holston. But, folks, if you have uh, some more questions for Matt or if there's something you want us to talk about in the future, just uh, shoot us either a DM on social media or shoot us an email and, you know, folks, um, it's, uh, you know, the hatch on the South Holston for the sulfurs is certainly going to go strong for a while and you owe it to yourself to, uh, to get out there and catch a few tight lines, everybody tight lines, Matt. Tight lines, Marvin hit us up with technique issues. If you have, there you go.